This is the Endless Ranters Podcast. Podcast. Good day, Endless Ranners. Welcome to episode 64 of your Endless Ranners podcast. We're here for another special daytime edition of ERP. My name is Chris, and I'm one of your hosts today. The rest of the lineup are the lovely and talented Jane. Hi there. Hello, hello. And the one and only Mole Man, producer Manny. What's up? Hey, hey, hey. How's it going, everybody? Happy Mother's Day. Good. Uh, so today is a special crossover podcast with our friends Coop and Russ. They host, they do, they've created the Two Grumpy Bastards podcast, which is available on all your favorite, wherever you get podcasts, just just search it. This is not hard to figure out anymore. Uh, so we're going to talk to them in a little bit about you know, how their show came to be, what it's about. Uh, I'm sure we'll get into that. Um, and then uh, hear from them because uh, to hear their Adam Carolla origin story to see how they became fans of the Ace Man because ultimately that's why we're all talking to each other today because that's how we met through the Adam Carolla Facebook uh, Adam Carolla podcast Facebook group. Uh, speaking of that, we have some quick business. We have a Facebook group we'd like you to join. It's called or just search for Endless Rainers Podcast on Facebook and join up. It's free. It's a free Facebook group. All the other ones are charging you. Uh, and then also, uh, we'd like you to suggest topics, guest suggestions, uh, whatnot. And then also, that's where we announce our bi-weekly or bi-monthly. I don't know if we figured that out. But every two weeks, we have a happy hours Zoom gathering that we host on Friday nights, uh, starting usually about... Bi-weekly. Uh, bi-weekly. Or is that... I don't know. That might mean twice a week. I don't, every two weeks is what it is. No, Y'all, y'all yeah. sound like you've been watching the, the scene and tag a little bit too often when the guy's wondering bi-weekly, meaning twice a week and every other week. So there's semi, <laughs> yeah, it's either semi or bi. Yeah, everybody, it'll, everybody will figure it out. Or I'm just yeah. weekly. <laughs> I think it's bi because I know I looked up semi-decennial would mean twice a decade. So oh, that's a lot. Semi. Yeah. Semi-monthly. Yeah, semi-monthly every, would be twice a month. I'm so semi-monthly or bi-weekly. Weeks. I'm going to say every two weeks from now on and stop this, stop this controversy. Uh, (laughs) Yep. You can also check out our YouTube channel. You may be watching live right now. We're streaming this episode, uh, catch past shows and uh, get the notifications for uh, when we go live in the future, usually every Wednesday or Thursday nights. Uh, And then also folks join the chat in the YouTube and we're kind of reading those as we're going along. And it's always fun to read comments while we're spinning. Uh, Instagram, Endless Ranters Podcast, and Twitter, at Endless Ranters. Uh, I think that's it. We got Mole Man has got How We Figure Podcasts, and his Twitter is at How We Figure, right? I got that right. Yep, uh, yep. But, but that's it. Uh, and then um, let's introduce our guests. You heard uh, a couple of them there. We got Coop and Russ. What's up, guys? Howdy. Hey, pleasure to be here with you guys. Yeah, Yeah, thanks for being here. Thanks for joining us. Uh, Everybody, just a reminder: about a few weeks ago, uh, Jane and I visited uh, their podcast again. Two Grumpy Bastards. Wherever you listen to podcasts, go get it. um, And had a great time. Uh, 
felt like we had we were on for like a half hour. It was more like two. We just yeah. kind of really yeah, went with the flow be, and it was meant yeah. to be like 30 minutes and ended up like two <laughs> two hours and 15 minutes. Yeah. Uh so that was a great time. So we're happy to have them back with us and uh so you guys can hear their stories. Um, do you guys before we get into some of the some of your the questions, do you guys have uh like uh, social media handles that you want to shout out? Yeah, um, I'm still we're still building that. We're a relatively new podcast, but uh, we are on Twitter. I would uh, love some follows on there. I think we've already been shadow banned for the memes I put out. Um, but oh, uh, on I'm there, yeah, uh, uh, on Twitter we are two grumpy bastards, but with the number two because that's the way I had to do it to fit it all in. So two grumpy bastards. We are on Instagram, so we're building kind of a good following on Instagram. It's uh, two grumpy bastards again on Instagram, real easy all one word or uh, two grumpy bastards. Um, that's where we're at so far. We're, we're uh, this week, I'm going to be rolling out Facebook and hopefully after talking to some experts like yourself, a YouTube channel as well. So is it two the number two grumpy bastards on both of those platforms? No, it's not, which is inconsistent. And I realize, okay, but uh, yeah, it's, very, it's, it's the rules of both. So it's two, the numeral two on Twitter, two grumpy bastards. And on Instagram, it is the word T-W-O grumpy bastards. Gotcha. And okay. you can get a hold of us on Gmail at two grumpy bastards at Gmail, of course. With the letters TWO. With the letters. Yeah. That's normal these days because the all the handles are taken and you got to get creative. Yeah. So. Ours aren't consistent either. Like some are yeah. have podcasts at the end, some don't. So, okay. I see. Yeah. Oh, you're also a fan of Comfortably Smug. I like that. I like that Twitter account. And that uh, is funny. Thomas Sowell, the uh, conservative writer, thinker, philosopher. He's great. Okay, good stuff. Yeah, I think we have I a lot of stuff I believe we also follow there. boobs and guns, if I remember correctly. No, well, who doesn't? <laughs> who, that's Jane's favorite account. <laughs> Why wouldn't it be? Yeah. She never shuts up about that account. I know. She's like, did you see what they said on boobs and guns? <laughs> I am uh, curious now. I might have a I'm I intrigued. I'm gonna, oh, yeah. You're intrigued. Okay. Well, what are you intrigued That was like about? an Let's insight to the male this. brain, right? This is what I'm intrigued by. So Here's an insight yes. to the male brain. In the age of 12 until the age of 80, it's all about, I want to see something naked and I'd like a beer. That's about it. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, I always say that, you know, there's just no, you can, you can study us all you want. You'll never, you will never understand the depths of depravity. Never. It'll yeah. never, uh, never. There, there's actually a pretty good uh, video out there on YouTube by the guy. I think his name is Mark Gungan, um, where he, he does the difference between male brains and female brains. And it's, it's pretty insightful. He talks about female brains being a series of overlapping wires that are all touching each other and how the male brain is nothing but a series of boxes. And we want to think about something. We go to that box, pull it out, carefully open it, carefully, you know, okay. making sure we don't touch the other box and putting it back. Yep. And the okay. best box in our brain is the nothing box. And if a guy has the chance, he will go to his nothing box every chance he gets. <laughs> yeah, I definitely have. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. All right, so I'm going to go to the you know, quickly to our YouTube, just in case anybody is chiming in or anything like that. We so. got two watching and I think one of them's me. Oh, and monkey's, monkey's uncle. uncle. Yeah. Oh, up there, Jane. What, what? Put a comment up there. Yeah, I'm I watching did. I, 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 I've, I'm trying to interact as I uh, participate here. So oh, monkey's uh, uncle was listening to the Lance Armstrong talk. Yeah. And agrees, oh, agrees okay. with us. Also says Jane's looking very zesty today. Yeah. Settle down, monkey's uncle. I moved my desk in front of the window again because I bought a keyboard, which you can, if you're, for those of you, you know, on the podcast here, you can see 
like a just piano set keyboard. Up, so yeah, a piano keyboard, not a. What else is oh, there? Okay. You said that last oh. night, and I was like, "Why are you telling me you got a new keyboard from your computer?" That's really okay. Oh, that's, that's I mean, awesome. we knew you were nerdy and stuff. Wow. <laughs> it's got no. It's got a number pad on the side. Full RGB yeah. spectrum. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All, All right. right. So should we get moving on? Um, tell maybe have uh, Coop and Russ tell us about their history a little bit and uh, how they. Yeah. We'll start with the Corolla history here and kind of move our way forward. Yeah. So what's um, the first question, Jane? Where we usually start with? Uh, yeah. So just the basics, like how did you come to find ACS and when did you start to listen? So I know Coop, you've been a fan for a while. So, uh, and then Russ, yeah, I think maybe you kind of tag along to Coop if I'm not, if I'm, uh, instead, but I, I, the first thing I remember seeing Corolla in was back and, and maybe he and Kimmel are still buddies, but back when they were doing the man show and they mm-hmm. were out on the street asking people to sign a petition to end women's suffrage, <laughs> that's <it. laughs> that that's the, that's the first thing I really remember Corolla in. And then I, I saw him, uh, he was. I just seen them off and on throughout the years. The most recent thing I think I saw him on was the, uh, the Ben Shapiro Sunday special um, where he was talking to Shapiro about some stuff, but he's, yeah, I, I like, I like Corolla a lot. He's, he's very dry, which kind of mirrors my own personality somewhat. Unlike me, he doesn't seem to get excitable about a lot of stuff, but um, mm. I, I like the, the dry, just kind of, you know, off the wall wit and trying to, for lack of better phrasing, lack of better phrasing, demonstrate people being stupid because they don't really understand stuff. Yeah. 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 Russ does. Uh, yeah. Getting to know Russ. Yeah. His, uh, he likes to start fires on Facebook and just <laughs> put out some proclamations and just watch the town burn. Yeah. See well, how many, see how many people he can up- upset. Well, I'm, I'm very Sheldon-esque about something about stuff. I'm like, you know what, you know, people don't need to cry unless they're stupid. For example, I cry because so many people are stupid. Oh, oh that's a, Ooh. That's, I'm going to have to think about that one for a while. <laughs> You're giving to, uh, stupid people too many power, uh, too much power by breaking down and crying. You shouldn't do that. Well, I don't That's actually true. cry. I more laugh at them. But, <laughs> but yeah. my, you can ask Coop. My biggest problem with the human race is that most people are not very bright and they're, they react with emotion on so much stuff because it's easier to feel your way through stuff than to think your way through it. Of course, it's also easier to shit your pants than it is to use a toilet. And that doesn't make it right either. I think if right. people could just examine their initial reactions to things and ask like, why did I, and then just take a, take 30 seconds to examine their reaction and question themselves a little bit, then uh, they, might, they might not, they might get brighter. They would get well, brighter. I think as long as we're wishing, I kind of like to have a pony. Yeah. Well, and then, cause it's just, you know, people go on their first reaction. They, they take their knee jerk reaction as gospel to themselves. Like it's just, this up made me feel right away. So that is it. Mm-hmm. it's like no well maybe examine a little bit anyway so you first started listening to adam carolla you saw adam for the first time when him and jimmy were doing the man show and the and all those all those hilarious bits they did on that show how about how about you coop when was your first uh when's the first time you remember hearing adam carolla's nasally drone it was Loveline. um okay yeah definitely Loveline. it was it was on late up here uh at night and believe it or not if if you folks know knew my dad um he was a millwright in a sawmill and would drive home and he is like the last person in the world to ever listen to something like that as old school as old he he's so old school that the old school quoted him a lot in their (laughs) curriculum but he uh he actually said yeah there's a pretty funny guy and some doctor to talk about fucking 
Well, that sums it up. He sounds like yes. a very succinct person. And believe it or not, it was a it was a referral from my dad, who you know um, his musical tastes ranged from Slim Whitman to Slim Whitman. So That's he didn't exactly have a lot of range. That's a first uh, for yeah. us with all the guests That's we've spoken a, to. Yeah, hell of an endorsement. We've had really a lot of friends. Him. I got hooked on him there, and then followed him into his radio career, of course. And I remember listening with. I was I was stationed stateside when uh, Conus when uh, he and the whole Danny Bonaducci thing blew up and he didn't show up for work and I was a big fan of Teresa Strasser as well. Um, my ex used to watch that show that she was on on HGTV and um, thought she was hilarious. So that's that got me hooked and then Man Show and then when he went to potting, I was there right away because I was listening to some podcasts from a local um, sports radio station, a broadcaster that I really liked that I didn't get a chance to listen to his show and. That was in the very early days of pods. They would just kind of yeah. record it and put it on their webpage. And then when I heard yeah. he was going solo, I think I listened to his very first podcast, to be honest with you. Okay. So I've been, I've been there from day one. Yeah, he's the are godfather guys, of podcasting. Yeah. Are you guys about the same age range, the two of you? Russ is, or? A, Russ is a bit younger. I'm, yeah. Okay. By what, about three years, Coop? You've, you've three, four years, you something like that. that. You broke so, the half century mark, if I remember correctly. Yeah. A few months ago, I sure did. Okay. So, so where I'm, were I'm not you? Quite there yet. Yeah, I'm, I'm uh, next year will be my 50. So where were you? Like what age range were you when you started hearing Love Line? So you're in the truck. You're in the yeah, car. you're kind of. I assume it was a truck. Your dad drove a truck. You were a little old for Love Line, weren't you? Well, you weren't Me? a teenager. Oh, no, I definitely wasn't a teenager. But act like I it. really I really liked and I, a full disclosure, I'm a medical school dropout. I went to two years of medical school at the University of Washington, decided I hated it and have kind of kept kind of kept uh, up with that. And I really. I actually thought Drew Pinsky was kind of an idiot at first and it took a while from, cause I, I was like, yeah, oh, he's not, whatever. But then I kind of grew to like him and I loved the common sense uh, kind of blue collar approach, kind of the stoic approach that Corolla brought to counterbalance Drew's, you know, kind of um, softy kind of yeah. approach to things. And it just, it was a great, it was a great interaction between those two. So that, that, yeah, uh, yeah no, I was, I, I would guess I was in my thirties or something when, uh, when love line was at its heyday i would guess okay i was just curious because we had a lot we've had other guests that come on and then they're they're basically they're sneaking love line you know in their transistor radio in the bedroom you know late at night listening to listening to all the kids problems and stuff so (laughs) just curious all right cool um i'm i'm all right jane i'm gonna need you to help me out i'm kind of lost here i was thinking oh yeah we can go on let's see next question so what got you hooked and made you a daily listener so Coop, I think you're more daily listener than Russ. So let's, we'll start with you. Yeah. Good question. Um, I can't say that I, I love every podcast, but uh, um, there's such a, there's such a history that I have listening to them at different times in my life, good, bad, and ugly that it's just become uh, it's, it's more of a habit and kind of soothing. It's like my morning routine when I get up, yeah. and I, you know, like, like uh, Jordan Peterson says, make your damn bed. You know, it's kind of, it's almost become a, uh, a prerequisite for my day part of my structure. And um, if I don't catch his episodes, if like when I was in the hospital for a few days, I go back and listen to all of them anyway. And I have a lot of time since I'm semi-retired and I hike a lot and I drive a lot. So um, I don't know. I think it's, I think it's become habit more than anything. But what hooked you? What exactly, what about him hooked you? Oh, the absolutely. There are so many characteristics of him that people around me say, Jesus Christ, that, that sounds just like Adam Carolla. He's uh he's very common sense. He's not always right. I don't agree with everything about him. For for one thing, fuck him thinking Journey isn't an awesome band. Um, but uh, but uh, 
Um, just you know, just a lot comment- of hardcore fans take issue with his taste in music. That's what yeah, I gather. Yeah, that's, well, yeah. that's part of the fun too. Is like I try to find where he's wrong. I, I'm a fairly intelligent human being, so I kind of try to find the faults in his logic. And for for somebody who's not classically educated, he's brilliant. He has a very good grasp of traditional logic, uh, critical thinking, critical reasoning, and he's funny as shit. His off the cuff yeah. comments are some of the most brilliant in history of any comedian I've ever listened to. So he's got that beautiful balance of stoic kind of angry guy and just ridiculously intelligently funny. Yeah. Yeah. I think I I like, I like, think I listen because uh, even when things happen in the news, I want to hear what he has to say. Like, that's kind of like a, I don't know, the sounding board or I wonder what his takes going to be on. And you try to, you, you kind of think, you know, but you know, you're, you can be surprised often. So, yeah. Yeah, he has an innate he has an innate uh, talent, I would say, that you can't Absolutely. teach, and that's what makes him appealing because you can't find that anywhere else. Yeah, Absolutely. Russ, go. I, I, say, I, I like the, how he he's able to he's able to cut through stuff. It's it's not necessarily intended as a burn, but it comes off that way because so few people have common sense and are just willing to say shit. So yeah. the fact that he's that he cuts through stuff and when he cuts through it, it's like, oh yeah, I should have thought about that. Now I feel really stupid not thinking about it that way. I, I, this, my personality, I really appreciate that because I like people who can, who can, you know, put, put sense into the world and understand that, you know, being smart doesn't necessarily come from a, a cute, pretty cute piece of paper you put on your wall. It comes from actually thinking and being able to analyze. And I think that he does that quite well. Yeah. It's a world we live in now that is made so complicated by all the emotions swirling around. And he still is able to just get down to a, you know, maybe oversimplistic sometimes, but breaks it down to the simplest elements. And uh, yeah, I appreciate that a lot. About yeah, him. I also, I also think that um, he, he benefits from the fact that so many folks out there aren't able to do that. If there were more people out there that were, you know, more common sense, more cut to the chase kind of folks, you know, he, he obviously wouldn't have an audience, but because, that, uh, for lack of a better word, demographic market is so is so underserved by most of the things in the culture. You know, he's able to gather such a large following because people are hungry for it because they see the the stupidity elsewhere elsewhere, and they say, "Hey, here's yeah. someone who, whether I agree with him or not, you know, you never have to wonder about it." And he's he's rooting this stuff in common sense. I think to his fans, and we'll move on. But his fans. Uh, you know, there's like kind of an idea that his fans are all just followers of his cult or something like that. But his fans are always trying to find fault in his logic, like always. Like that's just a, like every, his fans are very contrarian, I think, that are always trying to, you know, see where he's wrong. And it's it's hard to do. It's hard to do. You know, To the point he, where it gets tedious sometimes on the Adam Carolla. Um, in the Facebook uh, group. Facebook group. It sometimes yeah. just gets effing tedious. It's, it's like, is that what you do? You sit around all day and try to find one yeah. minuscule hole. And what was the one I read today about? Uh, well, he wasn't. Oh, when when he talks about history, he didn't know exactly what the MAGA no line. La, la, it's like, Jesus Christ. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Like he didn't know how to spell it as if Google doesn't just spell that shit out for you. If someone's trying <laughs> when to I taught I taught military history at the college level for several years. That's uh, Russ and I worked together. And uh, he got it pretty close for a layman. Who cares? He, the, the point yeah. was made. The point it, was made. Is it Magano or Magino or what is it? I, I always I, said Magano because I, I don't okay. do that. I don't do that frilly French shit. Well, is that okay. the... I, I do do the frilly French shit just, just so you know, because we do go off on a brief, very brief tangent. Um, back in junior high school and high school, I made the mistake of taking six years of French 
And the only reason I did that was because everyone else was taking Spanish and I was wanted to be different. And I said, Hey, Spanish, I'm never going to yeah, need that man, in the United States, like a dumb shit. And so <laughs> you know, that's, that's why I know that, you know, it, it's Maginot line. I'm, I, I understand the French okay. stuff. I can read French better than I can speak it, but uh, yeah. So I, I've done the frilly French shit just because I was dumb as a teenager. Okay. Say croissant uh, right now. Croissant. Oh, <laughs> oh, that's definitely a Frenchie Damn. spin. I just, I just threw up a little bit in my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> croissantwich. It's called. It's pronounced croissantwich. Why don't you call it a bun? <laughs> crossant. Crescent. Crescent bread. That's how we yeah. um, I'm always All impressed right. with Adam's uh, his history knowledge and his vocabulary. Given how horrible of a student he said he was, like he must have, he somehow absorbed all that on his own time. So if he'd had any teachers worth of shit, he probably would have been a valedictorian. He's that he's got that sharp of a, of a mind uh, just naturally. Except he couldn't really read. That's an interesting idea that we might have to get into on another episode where it's like, what if Adam had great teachers and what if he was sent to, you know, private schools and, you know, had a full ride to wherever, you know, (laughs) like what, or how about what if Adam were a millennial? Like, what if he had been born in a you millennial? Just my brain. I don't even know that I can envision that. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? I have wearing no idea. Scar- wearing scarves all the time. Growing and- up in the internet <laughs> age. Yeah. I just, no, I can't envision it either. I can't. Cognitive dissonance. And you have to give him the same parents, which is a little, you know, I don't, I'm saying like, you can't move the parents up. You have to have the same parents. Uh, it's like trying to imagine, trying to envision Abraham Lincoln driving a Porsche. It's just. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All, right. All right. So well, do you guys have, sorry, Jane, go ahead. No, go on. Where are you going to move? I was yeah. going to say, um, is there a favorite Adam rant that, you know, you know, that, uh, that just would be the first one you tell your friends about or something like that, or just an opinion, you know, like a favorite bit rant opinion that, you know, would kind of jump at the top for you guys. Oh, um, yeah, I think, yeah, there's so many. And matter of fact, the, uh, what did they just call when he did the, the, like the, like the bigger dance, the big dance, uh, competition, the rant March, March madness or rant March. March madness, madness, March madness, madness, March madness, madness. Yeah. Where it was his rant versus his rants. I thought that was actually a brilliant bit. I enjoyed that a lot. Um, I did too. You know, his, his rant, his rant, one of his mainstays, and I never get tired of hearing it because I feel exactly the same way, is how we're, we've turned into, especially uh, males, and we talked about in our crossover past, have turned into pussies, pacifists, and cowards in our, in our society. I, I love it when he goes off on that because I 100% agree with that. Yeah. Um, fortunately, I've had some really great experiences with millennials and a lot of their age groups, and I know Russ has too, as, you know, our former profession of knowing, you know, that's not dead out there, but he's so largely correct, and it's so prescient. He wrote that book in uh what was it in, in 10 years well was it 10 years we'll all be 50, 50. it I'm happened sorry. in 10 years and but he it said was, that's right yeah. he said we missed it by about 40 years he was wrong by about 40 years yeah. um that's that's probably one of my favorites just and that and then just the general incompetence of of politics both in his state and at the national level he's really good at picking those details out and going off on them so those two yeah. stick out for me how about you russ um i don't know if there's anything in particular um I like where he's basically said uh, something along the lines of, you know, the country's founded on the principle. If you're not hurting anyone, you're not screwing with someone else's stuff and you're paying your taxes, just go do what you want. 
Um, I, I, I really, I really think that's a great philosophy. Basically, you know, don't hurt anyone, don't steal anything and you'll be, and you know, then you should be able to do what you want without anybody, you know, fucking with you. Yeah. I, that, that resonates to me, uh, very highly. Yeah. Cause we're getting, we're getting so far away from that. So far away from freedom, you know, freedom, like we have just no, like that's just almost a meaningless word today in our society in the U S that well, um, that's because yeah. that's because people don't pe- people have their own definitions. One of the things that used to get to me um, was I remember back uh, back when the, the twin towers were brought down and put people pointed out that some of the folks attacking us hated, you know, hated us for our freedom and that folks trying to jump in. Nobody hates freedom. That's stupid. And then I'd point out to them, okay, look, if you know, you think that you should be able to go to any church you want to or not have to go to a church. They think that's evil and they hate it. You yeah. think that men and women should be able to live up to the fullest of their potential. They think women should be subservient. So they hate that part of your freedom. You think that you should be able to vote on your leaders. They think that leaders should come from religious sects and be religious scholars. So they hate you for your freedom on that. So when you think about the practical aspects of your freedom, there are people that do hate it, but because people don't understand, they equate freedom with whatever I like as opposed to what freedom really is. Yeah. Yeah. Where everybody's very quick or not everybody, of course, but you know, the, the, you know, the loud mouth left is uh, very quick to infringe upon other people's freedoms when they, when it bothers them basically. So it's, and they think they're doing it for your own good. That's, that's, that's where it gets, pro- you know, a, a tyrant who knows he's uh, oppressing you, that's easy to, to oppose and defeat, but someone who thinks they're doing it for your own good, kind of like an evil Mr. Rogers, you know, that's harder because they're not burdened by yeah. their own conscience. I feel like conservatives used to uh, have a past of also trying to infringe upon others' freedoms, but have maybe come to the light a little bit because now that the lefties are really, you know, going whole hog on uh, here, are all the things you're not allowed to do that conservatives have kind of said, uh, you know what? Yeah. What? We, need, think- we need to get back to that more and not, you know, cause it was, you know, the family values and you have to do this and this well, is unacceptable. Part- so. Part, part of that came down to the fact that, you know, when, when you had the, the fundamentalist preachers trying to, to ban books and movies and yeah. not let you dance and footloose or whatever, I mean, the mainstream society recognized that as insane and opposed it. I mean, those kinds of folks got laughed at. They were opposed very strongly and they were easy to defeat because they were opposed so strongly. Now, because this coming from the left has gotten ingrained in society, they don't understand. They're just the flip side of that coin. Yeah, right. Kevin Bacon's I- character in Footloose really there should be a shrine to that character because he really uh you know he changed there the world. My heart, there is in my yeah. heart. Yeah, I always say my you know there's always going to be fringe, and I you know I think you can equate those, uh, you know the Bible thumper pastors in that realm, but now what scares me is when things are going mainstream against against freedom. So. Yeah. And I think that's where we're heading. And I find that much scarier. Like even, I, I mean, mass shooters too, like that's such a fringe issue. Like they're outliers, but now we're seeing people that aren't outliers kind of shifting to a, ugh, like not a good place. And people are just kind of not standing up against it to the numbers that we, I would prefer to see. So Oh, I think you're on the money. I yeah. think you're on the money, Jane. I, we talk a lot about it on Two Grumpy Bastards, uh, kind of in our wheelhouse to talk about this. Me being a fairly died in the wool libertarian, and I I'm not a Republican. I left that a long time ago because of the 
what I perceived is, you know, Pat Robertson standing up during the convention and talking about homosexuals and all, all this stuff that should have stayed out of politics forever, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, but you're right. That's always been fringy. Um, anybody that I, that I know or respect doesn't feel any of those things. But um, what I've always hated about that kind of leftist thought that's now become the mainstream of the Democratic Party, and it has. I mean, you've got a president that's supporting this radical agenda and his uh, <clears throat> vice president, excuse me, hairball. Um, but drunk, it's, drunk become, it's become mainstream and their entire philosophy is rooted in hypocrisy. We talked about um, Senator Scott and the racism he faced over the backlash of being a, a black man and giving the rebuttal about talking about it wasn't a racist country and the racist crap that he got, the sheer hypocrisy of it, that's now mainstream. And it's always been a hypocritical philosophy. Like, you, you know, anybody that knows critical thinking knows if you start with a false premise, um, it'll only be an accident if your conclusion is correct. Um, wasn't that crazy? Because the, the, the responses on Twitter towards this black man, this black conservative senator, Tim Scott, it was like you, it was like, uh, go back 50 years and give the KKK Twitter. And that's what the Democrats, wow, yeah. like white liberals were literally saying, you can uh, disgrace to your race. Like all the, I mean, it was like, it was like the KKK 50 years ago, just instead of it being yeah. you know, shouting in people's faces, they were just t- tweeting like most uh, it was, it was also really interesting that they fought, they, they, this one, uh, democratic party chairman in Texas, made a very racist remark, got pressured into resigning. He fi- it took him like a week, but then the Texas Democratic Party would not accept his resignation. I'm like, <laughs> look, you had a chance to score some points. This is why no one lis- listens to you is because, yeah. you know, you, you hold different standards depending on who's promulgating the things you say you are for or against. And, mm-hmm. and that's part of what creates so much, uh, so much uh, of the anger in today's society so much of the cantankerous nature is that standards are not being applied evenly. If one person, you know, if it's wrong when one person does it, it's got to be wrong when everybody does it. You don't just get to make up your own rules, but there's so many folks who seem to think that, well, since I'm right, I can play by whatever rules I want. And in the end, it'll all work out because I have good intentions. Everybody else is evil, but I'm the one who who means well. And if we just get to my utopia, then everything will be great. And that's one of the reasons why it draws so much opposition from folks like us. Yeah. All right. So yeah, we, I think we all appreciate that, that about Adam, that he really, uh, yeah, he, you know, everybody, you know, nowadays it's like, oh, he's a Republican, he's a conservative, but no, he stayed the same and he calls it out on both sides. Just seems like today there's more to call out on the left these days, you know? Um, anyway, so yeah, we've got favorite rants. All right. So, uh, Coop, you touched on one earlier about, uh, the, um, you know, unremarkable band journey so what do you what do you disagree with adam with the most like, what's something that... that because i also wanted to ask who to follow up on that i'm on the like, podcast right now <laughs> 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 because uh, much like ace over here in socal like some of the radio stations will all they have a set playlist and they just uh play certain songs the fuck out so I'm only uh, familiar with a few handful of Journey songs. What are some of the more unfamiliar, but you feel we should know about songs by Journey? Oh, yeah. Make a defense of Journey now. Go. <laughs> I uh, I totally got interrupted, so I totally lost like the last 45 seconds. Oh, no. Time. Manny was asking about if you, you uh, 
he's only heard a few journey songs that have been, you know, played out on the radio that, you know, maybe he doesn't appreciate, but I think he's asking like, is there an album, the deep cuts, the non-radio stuff? Like, where would you start if you were uh, really making the case for Journey to the public? Oh, okay. You know what? That is a great question because I was just having this conversation the other day. There is a um, there is a song that everybody gets the lyrics wrong to. Hold on. Let me let me let me uh, get. Um, obviously, everybody knows Journey. Everybody knows Journey Escape because that's where a lot of their a lot right. of their great uh, great hits came from. Um, my favorite Journey song of all time, which did was a hit, but not a lot of people associate with it, is uh, Stone in Love because it's such a weird title. Hmm. Um, it's got such an amazing riff at the beginning um, and all the way through. Um, Dead or Alive, Alive is one of my other favorite songs from that album. Um, and that I don't think that got any airplay at all. And I can tell you my favorite album of theirs, other than uh, probably Evolution, was... Uh, uh, departure which was one of their last ones and uh any way you want it is on there someday soon but there's a uh, walks like a lady it's kind of cool it's got a little bit of almost of a jazz kind of uh, progression bar chord progression to it so yeah no i i think i think they've got a good body of work there no and i didn't i never said i wasn't like i didn't appreciate them i was just like I needed something different from them. I want, I want to hear something. Because, like, I've, I'm familiar with the drummer. He's fucking insane. So it's just like, I wanted to see what else. There right. Is. Like, oh, man, he's come a on drummer, now. So, yeah. I feel like Journey is one of did. those groups where the deep cuts are probably better than their well I would agree with that. Although, who who didn't fantasize about getting that teenage little uh, little kiss or even up underneath the blouse while listening to strangers walking down the boulevard? Come on now. <laughs> that was a good... Yeah, was that... I'm thinking... Raised on the radio is 86. I was 14, but um, yeah, those are those bring back some memories, those songs. They really do. Yeah. yeah. I think that's that might be why I think they're great. But you know what? If it if uh, they affected me that way when I was young and I still think about them and still feel emotion at the age of 50, that's uh, I think that makes them kind of good. They something. Yeah. Yeah. Their albums. Yeah. They had very simple journey, escape, frontiers, departure, infinity. Yeah, they also short make and sweet. <laughs> What they make great montage music, montage rock. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's true. <laughs> montage <laughs> rock for movies. That's yeah, right. Yeah. All right. So what? What else, uh, uh, Russ? What else? Is there anything else like you really uh, like, other than taste in music? Because everybody is, has problems with Ad, uh, Adam's taste in music. Any other <laughs> major things that you find uh, Ace just gets it wrong on? Wait, is this Coop or this should be aimed? Oh, at Coop. 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 Sorry. Oh, 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 I'm sorry. I, I know we look was, a lot alike, but don't get us confused. <laughs> we do. You know, um, I, I got to do it. You know what? Uh, Russ in real life, he's uh, he's a little bit shorter than I am. And one of the things he used to really hate when we worked together is when he would say something I disagree with. And I go, damn it, Bobby, you can't go around kissing plastic heads. Because there is a resemblance. <laughs> hey. The two of you sitting up, standing at the in the in the driveway. Yes. I look like Hank Hill, too. So it, it went both ways. Um, uh, Corolla, he, uh, in general, sometimes I get turned off by his sanctimoniousness. Um, he can be one sanctimonious mofo, um, pretty unbending. I know he says he's changed his mind a lot, but I've never heard him change his mind about anything. Mm. Um, the sanctimony bothers me. And that's part of the reason that, uh, you know, I have a problem with some of the members of the, 
Republican Party. Like whenever I hear Mitch McConnell speak, well, you know, I think, well, you know, nothing but sanctimony in that guy's voice. Um, the politics. Uh, right. His his view, his views on um, I'd say I'm very much like him in that uh, I tend to be very libertarian, um, limited stuff. But he goes a little bit further with his liberal views on some stuff than I do. Um, you know, I am didn't, not didn't a fan. He once, didn't, didn't he once say that he wanted like he liked electric cars, but he wanted them powered by nuclear power plants? It's <laughs> <laughs> not a bad idea, actually. It's actually pretty uh, good. It was him, yeah. Um, but I, you know, specific issues. Um, yeah, I, I don't find a lot of things to complain about. It's just maybe the way he delivers it sometimes. Um, and I, I, you know, uh, maybe that sanctimony and that, that, uh, self-righteous nature of his, even though he doesn't, Oh, I will tell you one thing though. I'll tell you one thing that does bug me. I am a man of faith. Uh, just, uh, just to put that out there. And he always says, but, I'm an uh, atheist, but I don't think that guy's a fucking atheist to save his life. I think I think that's. I don't bullshit. think he is either. I think he's. I think he's also admitted to coming that. around. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of atheists just, he always says things. God willing. Sure. God bless you. You know, he always manages that. He's he's ingrained to be that way, but he's drawn towards people of faith and religion. You know, like Dennis Prager and Ben Shapiro and yes. some of these other folks. Which is there's he's, nothing wrong with that, but I don't he's believe that spiritual. He's I would call him spiritual. I don't know if he would <laughs> label it beyond that. Yeah, he's probably like, I think if he listened to Jordan Peterson's take on religion, he would mm-hmm. identify with that. I was just that's, and that's where I today, as a fact. The, the impression that I get is Corolla gets turned off by organized religion, but not as much by God, because they can be two totally different things. True. I mean, I don't have straight down the, you know, down the doctrine views on God and the nature of the universe and the nature of creation. Mm-hmm. Um I also know where religion can fail, but religion was set up, you know, organized religion was set up by man, which makes it corruptible. I yep. think, I think that uh, Adam may be leaning more towards, you know, understanding, understanding, but, but open to a relationship with uh, the divine, as opposed to going down to, you know, a Baptist or Methodist convention and getting on with the preachers. I, I think they're totally different yeah. things. I just think, you know, he hasn't, necessarily um enunciated that split correct it would be pretty awesome oh. if adam got super religious and then you start seeing him in church with like his hand up like with his eyes closed yeah i'm not sure he'd go quite like that. <laughs> he... awesome. oh shoot i had a i had a thought and i just totally while you're catching it. that i think <laughs> like on just to cap on uh coop's point is that yeah i don't really disagree with adam on much at all but yes uh, you tapped into something where um scott adams the author illustrator of dilbert right oh, yeah. he he talks a lot about the persuasion game and like you can be right but if you're not persuading people like it doesn't you know doesn't do you much good so by yeah by kind of going hard and like making things seem so simple like it's so simple you have to do this you dummy um that well like you don't you don't persuade people to your point of view you're like hitting them on the head with your point of view and that and it's like well what's the what's the goal do you want to people to come around because if you do, you need to play harder. You know, you need to be smarter in the persuasion game. And let me worry less about being. It's not right. very good at persuasion. Yeah, let me let me yeah. jump into that real quick because, as I'm sure y'all seen from my own Facebook posts, I tend to hit people over the head quite a bit with stuff <laughs> myself. Um, but You're persuading them to be triggered. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one of the things though, <laughs> I always try to remember, and I don't know if Corolla does this or not, um, but it's the person you're engaging with is not necessarily your audience. 
you got to remember who your audience is and who you're talking to. Mm-hmm. Like when we talk on social media, for example, if I'm engaging somebody on social media, I'm not going to change their mind. I already know that. No one on, I don't know anyone who's really had their mind changed because somebody went on a rant in social media. The question is who's reading it and who's able to think about it without getting engaged. That's what you got to remember when you engage. Okay. Jane, you yeah. had a thought about human yeah, nature. My, yeah. So he, you know, Adam Kroll always talks about, oh, it's human nature to do such and such. But I think religion is human nature. We gravitate to some sort of higher meaning, whether mm-hmm. it, it's, it has a label in a religion or not, but well, I mean, even it. the leftists and environmentalism or BLM or whatever the fad is, it's sort of striving for an ideal. Something me, bigger. Yeah. Let me, let me slip in a, a quick, a quick plug from one of my books here. In one oh, yes. Books, I wanted to bring those up too. Yeah. Go well, for it. One of my books, the one that I consider my best written, Salvation Day, one of the points I make is uh, the main character makes the point that people are drawn towards believing in something more than themselves. They're not, you know, simply a sterile, you know, human society folks. You're, you're going to want to have something. People are pre-programmed to believe in something. Now, that might not necessarily be a specific religion, but people, there's something inside us. As In addition to the moral compass we all seem to have uh, on certain basic issues, yeah. if people are, people are programmed to believe in something more than themselves and sometimes that frightens people because they think that they're being controlled by that belief. Right. Yeah. Now, I think, and Jordan, you know, mentioned Jordan Peterson a couple of times. We, I, I like to listen to him and Jane and I talk about that quite a bit that he taps into a lot of that. You know, he, he explains that very well, I think. So. Yeah. I just he, finished you know. a, a YouTube series um, on Carl Jung's book, Ion, if you're familiar with him and his thoughts, but. It's probably too much to really go on a tangent because it's uh, a <laughs> lot of physical thought. <laughs> yeah, but it's kind of just about bringing together uh, our human reality and like where we're going and these 2000 year time eras called ions. And we're kind of either we're right in the going into the next phase. And now yeah. like the last 2000 years were all about the birth of Christ and like, and then we had the rise of science was, which was a shift towards the antichrist. And now we're going towards uh, the age of, so that would those 2000, this past 2000 years have been the age of Pisces. Cause that's the constellation you see when you look out on the spring equinox. And so every 2000 years that changes. And now we're getting into, you'll see Aquarius and that's supposed to signify a new ion era. So we're entering the age of Aquarius. Yes. I'm sure that's where I have to look that up, but I'm sure that's where <laughs> this is no, my time. This is my time then, because I remember when I was a kid, my, my birthday is February 19th. And that's like the dividing point between Aquarius and Pisces or something like that. Hey, so what's your social security number? <laughs> oh, let me tell you, it's uh, six, 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 six. No. And uh, I remember like, look, you know, as a kid being curious, you know, about your birthday and like seeing one thing would have it as the 18th, you know? So I was like always in between those. T- anyway, that's really not interesting at all. Yeah. <laughs> I, the age of Aquarius. That, that sounds like a song. Yeah. And there's way more to this think book maybe than I'm talking about, but so yeah, that, yeah it's about achieving your higher self and like, uh, yeah, it's kind of merging your unconscious with your ego, your conscious, and your unconscious. So you feel like a whole person it's, 
It's a lot. It's, it's very theoretical. It reminds me of when I, cause I majored in math. So I had to take like real analysis, oh which is like theoretical math. <sighs> and I, <laughs> sorry, me and math don't get along. Sorry. <laughs> Um, well, you write, so that's, you know, everyone's got their skills. I actually don't know if I, uh, but whatever. Um, but yeah, it's about, it, it kind of reminded me of theory and, and math. And I kind of wonder if there's more, there's some sort of thesis there. I think that could merge math and religion and human nature that out there yeah. that I'm not smart enough to do, but I hope someone does it someday. Well, we talk about merging them, but then they are like connected. They're just all that is connected already. Chaos just theory, figuring out how it's connected. So Russ, yeah. was that your um, Adam's claim to atheism where he's really agnostic? Is that your, your disagree yeah. with thing? I, I, I think more? do you have any more? I agree with Coop. I think that he's more agnostic than he is atheist. Atheist. If you're atheist, you really don't, you know, in the purest sense, you don't care about God. You don't care about the spiritual at all. You, you don't believe that there's anything there. So why would you need to even yeah. talk about it or whatever? So I, I think that, I mean, he's not, he's not gonna come out and say, it. like you said, he's not gonna be up there, you know, raising his hands, singing, you know, how great thou art. Or anything. <laughs> um, although that would be a very funny video. If he ever actually did put something like that out, I think people would pay to see that. Um, but I, I think that, I don't think he's, he's as overt or hostile as a lot of uh, atheists, which I think m maybe underlies or belies the, uh, the view that maybe he, he does think there's more out there, but he doesn't really know what it is. And so he's not going to get into one camp or the other because he, either it's too private to him or he hasn't figured it out and he's still thinking through it. Aren't what? atheists... Oh, good, good, Manny. Your, uh, the faith that you practice, what is it, Russ? That's complicated. Um, so Catholic, gotcha. No, you ever seen Ghostbusters and uh, the the? You, in the Lord. broadest in the broadest sense of the word, you could call me a Christian, but I don't know if my beliefs line up with a particular Christian doctrine. I my, okay. if you really want to know a, a large portion, although not everything, if you really want to know a large portion of my beliefs, read my book Salvation Day. Um, right. It's I'm serious, Salvation Day. I go by the name R. D. Meyer because uh, Russ Meyer. I'm personally ungoogleable because there was a softcore porn producer named Russ Meyer in the early seventies. Um, so that's why my books go by the name RD Meyer, but uh, a gotcha. large portion of what I believe is in salvation day. It's, it's a story, but there's a lot of elements that come out of that. So it's more than I can go into here just because I, I view the nature of, of creation and God and the universe and everything is much more intricate and much more complex than anyone wants to admit. Um, you've got very doctrinaire religious folks who think, well, it's got to be a certain way and everything's laid out a specific way in the Bible, not understanding the Bible was written in an Eastern mindset, which uses illusion, not illusion, illusion, but the Western mindset reads everything in script, which takes things a little bit too literal. And you got to kind of reconcile those two mindsets. Um, but I, I also, you know, take issue with a lot of, with a lot of militant atheism that is like, well, we were just an accident and everything's just here. We're a series of chemical reactions and religious people are stupid. Um, atheists like atheists are really lucky that 99% because it's probably a, like a vast majority of people on earth do have some kind of inkling towards uh, the divine and like meaning. Cause it's like, if everybody was like pure atheists and you just saw someone driving a Lamborghini, you'd be like, well, uh, okay. I'm just gonna fucking. I'm just down. gonna. Yeah, I'm gonna kill you. I'm just gonna point, kill you. That's and the take point I've actually made. That's the point I've actually made several times. Is if 
if it's pure atheism with no objective moral truth yeah. uh, at, at all, then simply yeah. beyond evolutionary biology and uh, societal evolution, then survival of the fittest means that, you know, if you have more stuff, I should be able to take it because it could benefit me and my right. progeny. And that's not necessarily, yeah, if you were pure atheist, people say, well, you should do what's right. Well, how do you know it's right? Someone else in a different, in a yeah. different uh, group might think something else is right. Yeah. You better thank evolution that, you know, whatever you believe in that, uh, that everybody else is kind of believes there's consequences in the afterlife because otherwise it'd be, you, you wouldn't be, you wouldn't last very long. So yeah, to an extent, yes. Yeah. Okay. All right. So let's see. I think we were, were we, yeah, we were kind of, let's, I think we yeah, let's go to number question. six. Um, okay. All right. Coop favorite oh, guest. Yeah. Favorite guest and why or which guest do you think has the best chemistry with Ace? Any uh, perennial all-stars for you? Yeah. Um, I miss Dag back in the day. Their chemistry and their interaction was was unbelievable. Um, I know he's – it is what it is now. He's a, he's crazy leftist and hates Adam now, I guess. But uh, some of the – I think the funniest shows ever with, were with Dag and some of his characters and some of the improv he and Adam did. I also feel that way about Joe Coy. Um, they have great yeah. chemistry and Bung Lu Su. I don't care. You can criticize all you want. I, I have tears in my eyes every time I he love, does. It. Yeah, me too. Love it. It's wonderful. <laughs> I just, it just a quick aside. I had uh, the greatest joke I ever heard in stand up comedy. It was before Joe Coy was huge and he did a show in Tacoma. He's a Fort Lewis kid. His dad was in the army. And so he's right. kind of a Tacoma kid. And the joke he told was wonderful. He said, uh, yeah, it's nice to be back in my hometown, Tacoma. He said, I just left my grandmother's, uh, met down in San Francisco, did a couple of shows. And he goes, sad, tragic thing is when I was backing out of the driveway, I ran over the, the puppy, my grandma's puppy. He goes, we were devastated because we were saving him for Thanksgiving. That's still one of the greatest, <laughs> <laughs> still one of the greatest jokes right. I've ever heard in my life. Obviously, him being Asian, it was okay. It was kosher. Well, um, he's so- half Filipino, right? Half Filipino. Yeah. yeah. So we, we knew like- his dad was in the military. <laughs> right yeah. yeah it's a pretty good assumption yes um in, in modern times i'm i'm a big fan of his interaction with uh i love fitz dog i love their kind of uh a little bit of bumping heads and stuff like that i think fitz dog is is, is a genius i absolutely mm-hmm. love him and i love the fact that fitz is one of those guys who's politically not like adam at all but he doesn't give a shit he he appreciates adam's talent and um I really appreciate people in, in the business like that. So I say those three stand out for me. There's a, there's a bunch, but those three really stand out for me. Do you ever listen to Allison Rosen and Fitz and their parenting? I podcast? am not a fan of Allison Rosen. So I've never gone over yeah. to her pod. I wasn't a fan. I thought she was really smart and had some good quips, but her personality kind of threw me off the last couple of years she was there. But yeah. I, I've, th- I've thought about it because I like Fitz so much. I thought I should probably go over there and listen. Yeah, I wonder what it is that they. I, yeah, I'm I'm kind of with you. I don't think I will ever listen, but I do wonder sometimes. I wonder what's good about that. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So it seems like based on those three, you seem to be drawn to the kind of high energy, intense type of guests, which is a, which is very different. Well, Adam goes on his rant; he gets high energy, but I think he has a low. He has like low blood pressure. You know, right. and like you're you're naming people that probably have high blood pressure. <laughs> right, right. Well, I think they draw them out of that shell a little bit and away from that uh, tendency to be in that low blood pressure place. That's I guess I enjoy his energy when he's around yeah. people. Like, well, that, that's I, kind of, when he cracks up, when he cracks up like belly laughs with a guest, that just makes me happy. Yeah. When yeah. I hear him yeah, yeah. really belly laugh, I'm like, oh yeah, that is so awesome. For some <laughs> reason, that 
that brings me joy to hear him laugh mm-hmm. that much. Yeah, same. I, just, I just like seeing him and Dennis Miller kind of bounce off each other a little bit because Dennis is like a, a more high strung version of Adam Carolla in my eyes. Um, yeah. But, with even more vocabulary. Yeah. More vocabulary, but he can get, he can get a little bit more excitable. Um, so it, just watching that, that energy feed off each other is interesting. I don't know if anyone ever saw uh, it was, it was early. I think when uh, this, this actor kind of looks a little bit like Adam Carolla, but uh, the interview he did with uh, oh, the guy that played Ross's dad on friends, uh, David Schwimmer. No, not David Schwimmer. Oh, dad. David oh, dad. Elliot Gould. Elliot Gould. Did, did anyone oh, ever see oh, the interview yeah. that, that he did with Elliot Gould where Corolla started cracking fart jokes and Gould got all pissed off because he thought he was at some kind of, you know, high class interview and he would only start giving one word answers. That was yeah, a live show. show. Yeah. It was a live show at, uh, what was it, that Italian restaurant? I forget the name, but that was a classic fucking. Oh, was that live Adam's show. restaurant? Adam had. Yeah, a- I'm Alfie. There we go. Yeah, I, I laugh my ass off because Gould looks so much like Corolla as if he's you know, Corolla twenty years from now. <laughs> the um, I think listening to Corolla Classics a few years back and Superfan Giovanni, former guest of this podcast, by the way, look it up. Um, he was saying that in hindsight, like Elliot Gould had no idea, like he didn't think yeah. any, he had no idea like what he was doing there. <laughs> no, he he thought he was going to be there for like some you know more more highbrow sophisticated interview and it it really went sideways yeah, like, on him and so he was kind like of pissed james, off the rest of the time like a james lipton interview i forget what that show was called inside the oh, actor inside studio. the actor studio yeah like, no no yeah. we're gonna rip farts we're gonna tell fart jokes <laughs> <laughs> all right so okay so, so for russ then it was uh okay it was that was one of the favorite was the yeah was the elliot oh. gould Elliot Gould episode. Any other favorite guests that you can think of? No, or Dennis, I'm sorry, and Dennis Miller too. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah I, I had I was, a. I like the I like Dennis Miller a lot. So just watching them bounce off yeah. each other's is, is is pretty fun. They're, they're I enjoy them each in in this is gonna sound weird, similar but different ways because they can be both very dry, but I I think Miller's a little bit more excitable and Corolla likes to try to keep it a little bit more low key. Yep. Yeah, that that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, I used to love Dennis Miller when he did uh, Weekend Update on SNL. Oh, yeah. He's one it's, of my it's almost like yeah. watching a pair of brothers uh, rip off, you know, play off of each other. Yeah. Well, Ace does great with other comics. He he really like ups his game, I think, and he's trying yeah. to make them laugh. They're trying to make him laugh. So he really ups his game on that. Um, I got a new little uh, question we wanted to wedge in there. Do you have any favorite, uh, because, you know, we haven't talked about this much, but Coop and Russ are warriors. Um, and, uh, U.S. Army, both former U.S. Army, right? Um, yes. What about favorite military guests? We just had one. There was a, there was a Navy SEAL that was on uh, this past week. Um, last Jack name Carr? was Carr. Jack Carr. Do Jack you Carr, have any yeah. favorite like military guest episodes, whether they're the pilots or? Um, I, I'd Sean? have to I'd have to seriously do some thinking about it. I I'd, I'd have to seriously think and go back and probably relook some of it to. to be yeah, easy. Rob O'Neill is kind of a big one. I that oh, comes yeah. to my mind. That was. Rob O'Neill is everybody's favorite because he shot him <laughs> in the face. Yeah, that that um, was a riveting. The way he told that story was uh, was riveting. You know the way it was. And there was the best part of that story was when he was saying that um, they were going up. They were going up the stairs, and he was just like, "Hey, Muhammad." <laughs> and again, I guess the story goes like that. He, like in English, and he like turned it and he like put his head around the corner and bam, like that's hilarious. That was uh, uh, awesome. yeah. I'm finding that hilarious, but it's just a 
I was riveted to that episode. Yeah. Bin Laden getting shot in the face. Anything about that is hilarious. Watching porn too. <laughs> like, yeah, they really needed to, even if it's not really true, they needed to be like, yeah, he was in the middle of, uh, he was in the middle of uh, teens. Get a boner. Wild. Yeah. yeah. 18. I shot me at a boner. <laughs> yeah. Sitting around with some baby goats, a, yeah. baby goats and a bag of Cheetos. He's watching MILF porn. Yeah. <laughs> Just no, feel free to feel free to embellish that part. <laughs> yeah, goats. I like. That. I yeah. No, I believe not, that. Not, not, not just goats. Uh, the grand, the grandmas. I'd like to. You know. Oh, okay. You got me there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they could have embellished I, uh, more on that one. I personally loved the. Uh, he had him on in uh, studio as well, but his uh, live show he did with Dan Crenshaw when he okay. went down there during the COVID and they were open. That was that was actually wonderful. Um, got some, got some issues. Dan Crenshaw, of course, is, is amazing. And then they, they, Dan Crenshaw was very funny too. So they had a lot, yeah, they had yeah, a little yeah. bit of both of serious and some comedic, they had a really, really good chemistry. So that I was think, one of my favorite by far and away. And I'm a, I, I'm a, you know, unabashed fan of Dan Crenshaw. So yeah, I think Dan Crenshaw actually scares the left because unlike a lot of the button up super stodgy, you know, conservatives on the right, Crenshaw actually comes off as cool and funny and mm-hmm. smart and yeah. I think it throws the left off their game because they're not used to having to deal with someone from the right that that people might think is actually cool. Yeah, he's kind of a new. I don't know. I don't know if the right that's the right word, but kind of a it. Um, the old like a what was the guy the astronaut or whatever like the old school military guy going into politics was old school, and now oh. like it, you have you know they you know you guys you guys overcome and adapt. So it's like with Crenshaw, you not only have to have the you know the political knowledge and beliefs that match your voters and you know what people want, but also you got to be got to be clever. You got to be funny. You got to be clever. You know, it's kind of a it's a tactic. It's a skill that he's got. So I love I love that guy. I hope that uh, I hope that he doesn't get you know kind of changed by the you know, the shit show that is, you know, politics, you know, he's, he, he'd probably be more like the guy that does like a couple terms and then it's just like F this, you know? Well, that's exactly what happened to Tulsi Gabbard on the, you know, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. She just got sick. That that happened to her, man. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. She's, I like that lady. Yeah. I like her. I do too. I didn't agree with, I didn't agree with a lot of reviews, but I like the fact that she was, uh, straightforward in what she said and Mm -hmm. she i mean she was single-handedly responsible for for destroying kamala harris's presidential bid uh during the last primary season drunk kamala hashtag drunk kamala everything that everything when you see her and you're like what in the world just tell yourself oh she's drunk or she's tipsy and everything makes a lot more sense like everything that she says all her mannerisms if you just assume that she's had like four or five drinks already it's like oh okay yeah now to me, to me, she, she's the she joker. Make, yeah. she, just, she just breaks out that laugh. I was like, ah! <laughs> yeah, it's because she's I'm had a few. with the Cape Crusader. That's because she's had a few with breakfast. That's why she's getting into the rubbing alcohol. I like how AJ Benza calls them pee pads and knee pads. <laughs> oh wow! Well, maybe that's why she's had all the drinks is because you know she's got to get up for getting back together with Willie Brown or something. I'm not even kidding. She's tipsy by 10 a.m. Not even kidding. So. That's why she's wearing that. Allegedly. That mask. Allegedly. No, I know it for a fact. I don't need to. <laughs> <laughs> He's talking about me and allegedly her with Willie Brown. Sure. Allegedly the open secret that was known throughout San Francisco. Oh, I think that's, that is even, that's not even allegedly. That was it. Like yeah. he says it like, yeah. yeah. He wrote an entire op-ed about it. 
Yeah, that's right. Where he was basically saying, like, I was I was married, but I was, you know, separated and about to get, I don't know. I really don't. This, this woman that was, you know, 29 years my junior and yeah. Uh, I mean, he, he did nothing. He did nothing wrong. You know, let's be clear. <laughs> you know, she's a, you know, she's a, a scoundrel, but he was just, you know, doing what any man would. That's all. Um, anyway, I'm just kidding. That's terrible. <laughs> Jane, what were you going to say? No, I was just saying she's great, you know, ideal for feminism. Absolutely. You to yeah, you. Right. yeah. YOLO. <laughs> can't, can't judge. Go low. Did you just say go low? No, yo. <laughs> That would have been better. Yolo, no, YOLO. Oh, yeah, that's like the feminist. Once. Yeah, the feminist mantra is like, fuck it. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So favorite military guy. Okay. So How, right. okay. What about okay? Go ahead, Jane. Oh, yeah. So Coop, any other podcasts you listen to in the Corolla universe? Like Adam yeah. and Drew. I actually really I do listen to Adam and Drew. I uh, listen to Reasonable Doubt. I fast forward that one a lot when Garagos starts saying his predictions that are never right. Um, and I'm not, a, <laughs> I'm, I'm not a fan of Garagos at all, uh, especially his, oh, what did he say on one of the ones? Well, I give Kobe a pass, or I, not Kobe. I give uh, LeBron James a pass. I give him a pass. Fuck you, Garagos. Um, I oh, also. On holding him liable or culpable for yeah, yeah, outing for, that police officer basically, or for, for all this fanning of the of the race hatred and all that stuff, and that's what LeBron James yeah. has done. He's every bit as bad as any potential client. Bad. He's a potential I give client. Him a pass. Fuck you, Garagos. He's yeah. Anyway, um, sorry. I'm, I know we're on YouTube. Sorry about the cussing. Um, I I listen to the water cooler, but I'm not a. I, I kind of quit listening to that because I really like the Lady Lackeys a lot more. I think the Lady Lackeys are, are hilarious <laughs> and they crack me up. Yeah, you I, do. I love that podcast. Oh, I that's fun. I, yeah, that's, it is. They're 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 funny gals and they're. Uh, very energetic and I really appreciate it. Yeah. Plus they're gals. Because they're Plus gals. They're gals. <laughs> yes. Misogyny 101. I didn't I didn't call them broad, so I've evolved. That's true. <laughs> yeah, that's true. You're enlightened. You're enlightened. <laughs> I'm about as woke as Rip Van Winkle, so you'll have to forgive me. So that's a good mix. Like so a little bit of water cooler, lady lackeys and uh, the reasonable doubt podcast. Yeah. I'll, I'll watch that sometimes. Reasonable doubt's not really what I go to, but um, right. Yeah. But I do like to get, yeah. Some of the, I like to hear Garagos when he talks about, I mean, you know, like he, his, he's kind of stands between us and um, the government overreach, you know, where he, yeah, I do appreciate that. Uh, no a little doubt. bit, but yeah, it's like the guy, we need people like him. But what about you, Russ? Do you listen to any other Corollaverse podcast or any other yeah, open, podcast in general? Let's open that up to him to other pod, to podcasts, other podcasts outside. This doesn't really count necessarily in the Corollaverse yeah. because they're, yeah, they're yeah. more acquaintances. No, they're friends. Um, but uh, I, I'm a big uh, Shapiro, uh, Ben Shapiro uh, devotee. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll listen to his stuff while I'm on, uh, on the elliptical, uh, mostly because we're about the same size. We share similar thought patterns. <laughs> <laughs> you guys now, talk about the same speed too yeah well i was gonna say actually i think he talks a little faster than i do yeah <laughs> um but uh yeah i i listen to shapiro a lot and a lot of folks in the in the daily wire universe um but but okay. uh what oh coop is going to go feed his dog or something dog um, dog duty yeah that's that's really cool russ i put that in chat so we didn't have to talk about it but you know, <laughs> you know well, that's some good podcasting hey Thanks. hey blue falcon here i come swooping down on coop ah! <laughs> <laughs> um 
because I, I, I don't like to – well, I don't listen to my podcast when my kids are in the car very often because they get bored by them. So I normally listen to the, you know, music on the radio. But when they're not in the car, you know, I'll just boot up my phone. I'll listen to, I'll listen to something. Like I said, usually Shapiro, but I'll branch out if, if I'm all caught up on him. Yeah. I do this thing. My kids are in the car. They're watching the DVD in the back, and I have a little Bluetooth head, Bluetooth uh, earbud listening to whatever I want to listen to. And they're like, yeah. "Why? What are you laughing at? What are you laughing at?" Well, it's it's funny you say that. I I will. I don't. I don't have the DVD in the back of my car, but my wife does. Um, but usually, if I'm riding in the car with her, um, I don't. And she's looking at me right now. Like, better not say anything bad. You put her in the back. <laughs> no, I don't listen. I don't listen to the podcast in the car when I'm riding with her because then I end up ignoring her, and that pisses her off, which yeah, rightfully yeah, it yeah. should. So I, I I try to avoid that. If I'm listening to the podcast, it's usually in my car by myself. Uh, but yeah. if the kids are in the car, they get the DVD player and the the vid screens in her car, but not in mine. So I got to find yeah. some other way to keep them entertained in my car. Understood. Understood. Oh, let's see. Let's ask, let's uh, get your, I'm, I'm curious to know exactly what your history is, military, how, when did you, when did you serve? Where did you get stationed? What's your kind of war experience? Yeah. I know you guys, I think you were both uh, in Iraq. Can you, Russ, why don't you start and give us a. Yeah. Well, synopsis. first of all. To and how you two know each other too. All right, well, first, to understand how comical my, my rise to service in the military was, you have to understand that I graduated high school about four inches shorter than I am now, and I think I weighed 102 pounds. Um, so I was also the captain of the chess team um, and wrote for the school newspaper. When, when they had the word nerd, my picture was right next to it. <laughs> um, so I got, to college, I got to college, and there was an ROTC infantry tactics club called Commandos that was recruiting, and I went out for it just to see what it was like. And everyone thought there's no way I'm going to get through this thing. And so I just kept plugging away at it and decided that I was good at this infantry stuff and started working out and started getting in better shape. Um, so I got commissioned into the infantry in 1995. When did First you get the went, super serum? Was, uh, that didn't come later until about 97. Okay. Um, <laughs> but uh, in, I, I first got stationed at a place called the national training center, which to put it in, in more simple terms, it's basically, it's a big laser tag in the desert between tanks. So I got, I got stationed out there as part of the opposing force. I was studying Russian doctrine and playing as, you know, the anti-U.S. forces out there for three years. Uh, then the Army said, hey, thanks for serving out in the middle of nowhere for three years. We're going to send you to Korea for a year for your good efforts. So I went to Korea for a year and had two of the most vomit-inducing jobs I've ever had in the military. The first one was where I served as the 2nd Infantry Division's uh, protocol officer, uh, making sure that, you know, all the... Uh, all the get all the visitors to Korea for my division were taken care of. And that when we were at certain dinners, all the place settings were right. So it was just wonderful for me. Um, and then I went to the 101st and I took a rifle company to the invasion of Iraq in 2003, uh, the Charlie company Cobras and uh, fought in the battle of Hilla uh, when third ID was trying to uh, when third ID was trying to push the Karbala gap, my company and the battalion we were attached to, we're pushing north on what's called a feint, which is, hey, we're going to pretend like we're going up somewhere and try and draw folks to us so 3rd Infantry Division isn't as, as hit as hard. Um, we were only supposed to engage two battalions, uh, which a battalion's about 600 uh, soldiers. So we were only expecting to face about 1,200 soldiers. Ended up the two brigades of the Republican Guard got committed against us, so that's about 6,000 soldiers as opposed to 1,200. 
Um, wow. Maybe a little bit more than that. Um, the Intel folks just showing that they are always on top of stuff told us, hey, you're just going up to a certain spot in the road. You're going to turn around, come back. You'll be back by nine in the morning. We had a 10 and a half hour firefight. Uh, one of my soldiers earned a silver star during that fight. We had seven purple hearts. Uh, we lost a soldier named Brandon Rowe uh, when uh, a bullet went uh, basically uh, went off a tank and up underneath his body armor. Uh, it was just kind of a freak shot. And he was a, he was mm -hmm. a great soldier. Um, and then uh, after we ended, we ended up killing like 90 of the enemy in that fight, I think something like that. And that was our biggest fight. And we, we finished up uh, through the Iraq war. And at the end of that, you're only supposed to have about 24 months in command in the army. They don't like you going beyond that. So I was at 25 months. And this was the fourth stop move when you were, you were still allowed to leave the country. And the army said, hey, uh, you need to leave command because you've been in command for 25 months. So we're what's the that? idea? Yeah, yeah what's the idea behind that? that? The, the reasoning behind that is so that everybody Burn gets out. a chance to command it because there's okay. you, you have to have command to progress to the rank of major. So in order to make sure everybody gets command, term now, I think it's I, I think if you're in the middle of a war zone, you ought to stay there until you know you're done or relieved. But I don't get to make those kinds of policy decisions. So uh, they said, hey, uh, we want to send you somewhere that's completely opposite of that. How about you go to uh, Davis, California, and teach ROTC at UC Davis and Sacramento State. And actually, I got pulled there by a buddy of mine who died last July from a heart attack, a guy named Brian Anderson. Coop took Brian's place because Brian decided he wanted to go down and teach ROTC at the University of San Diego. And Coop then took his place. And that's where I met, uh, met uh, the mutt of Muff, Mutt and Jeff up there. One of our first interactions was a, an old wives' tale my dad had told me that I took for granted as true. And Coop, uh, very loudly disabused me of the notion uh, of the, the meaning behind certain parts of the first calf patch. And I believe Kurt uh, Coop's exact words to me were something along the lines of, no, that that's fucking wrong. That don't be stupid. That never happened. <laughs> um, so when was that? What's the timeline here? When did you? That was, Coop, was that, that was the spring of 2004, I think on the, uh, I think, I think that's right. Spring FTX okay. was the first place we really interacted because one yeah. of the other instructors was, was running down, with the RTC programs up there, there was UC Davis and Sacramento State were basically one program, but they trained at the two different schools. So the Army folks who were over the RTC program out there helped administer both UC Davis and Sacramento State. But there was kind of a rivalry between the two. Now, as the junior year instructor, which is kind of the most, more important, the most important year to prepare these cadets to go off to their summer leadership training, um, I, I was... Uh, touching, uh, not touching. I mean, let me back that down. Y'all get the wrong idea. <laughs> I was involved with the uh, the cadets from both schools, but there was a little bit of a rivalry between the folks from UC Davis um, and Sac State a little bit. And I remember at one of the FTXs, the UC Davis freshman year instructor started running down some of Coop's cadets, and I believe Coop threatened to body slam him against a tree or something. Um, and Probably. that was uh, that was the introduction to how. Uh, we got and now Coop and that other guy that were involved in that little kerfuffle were fine after that. They didn't, I don't think they had another problem after that, but it was, I don't think the other instructor was expecting Coop to be quite as, uh, as vocal in his defense of his, of his cadets. And then yeah. Coop and I just kind of hit it off from there and we've been in touch ever since. So real one quick question before we get back, get to, to Coop's kind of timeline to that, you know, to that meeting place. Um, you mentioned earlier, like you were at the oppositional forces. So were you basically, what I heard was something like you were 
kind of um, playing the role of potential enemies we'd face. Is that what that is about? Out of the National Training Center is a thousand square miles of nothing but desert and some rough mountains. And the U.S. Army sends brigades from the Army there to train. It's kind of a capstone training event. Um, and there's, it's like force on force. It's free play. You know, I'm putting this in very layman's terms. It's like free play laser tag. All the tanks are outfitted with sensors and they have uh, little, uh, they're called Hoffman devices and other things that make big booms to simulate tanks going off and, and uh, other things firing. And basically you've got the U.S. Army, they're called the Blue Four or the Blue Forces on one side and the, uh, the opposing forces known as the Op Four on the other. We, we always said that we were from the, the fictional country of Krasnovia. We called it Krasnovia because it's a derivative of the Russian word red, which I think it's Krasny, I believe is the, the word for red in Russian. And we would use Russian tactics, but unlike the Russians who were very stilted and very uh, regimented in how they did things, we were a lot more free play. So we actually ended up beating the U.S. forces most of the time. I and mean, they were coming to our turf and we were doing this every month. Um, okay. So we, I did that for about, for almost three years where uh, I, for about, I don't know, 17, I think 17 months, I was a platoon leader. I, I helped command a motorized rifle company in the field consisting of three T-80 tanks. They were visually modified to look like T-80 tanks and uh, seven or eight uh, BMP uh, assault personnel carriers. Those and are then, what, Russian. Those are Russian yeah, tanks. Russian, yeah. Russian okay. stuff. We would use Russian doctrine. And then I became a troop executive officer. And in the, the fights every month, I was in charge of what's called the CRPs or the combat reconnaissance patrols. Basically the scouts going out in front of the main body to try to find the enemy, engage them on a limited basis, and then tell the main body where the U.S. Army forces were. And from there, I left to go to the captain's career course. Um, but it really taught me a lot about maneuver warfare, how to integrate artillery, how to use smoke, how to use close air support, um, you know, when, when to improvise, when to stay on doctrine. Um, I actually upset a few people at the captain's career course when I tried to remind them that doctrine is a guideline. Doctrine is not set in stone. That's how, you know, true in battle, you have to improvise sometimes. And of course, it's all simulated. I mean, no one's getting PTSD out of that or anything. Yeah. Um, you, at the end of the day, you rekey yourself, you're, you know, you're alive again and you go home, but also part of the Russian forces that we were portraying, we were able to do things that, that you're not allowed to do in the U S army. Like, you know, we use chemical weapons, uh, as part of the Russian forces, we were, we use chemical weapons against the U S forces. So they would understand how to maneuver against it, how to fight against it. Um, so that, those were some of the things that, that we were allowed to do. There's a few others I won't go into, um, cause drink, you might've said drink vodka. Drink vodka all day. Well, no, maybe not all day, maybe all night, but not all day. <laughs> all right. That's awesome, man. So just yeah. a quick, quick thing to two grumpy bastards is the name of uh, Coop and Russ's podcast, which, you know, you guys don't get into, uh, you know, really, really long war stories and things, but you touch on this kind of stuff a lot. So another a great reason to listen and to follow them on uh, the social media and interact with these guys. Um, for future shows to say, Hey, we'd love that. We'd love to hear more about your experiences that way. So, um, uh, so Coop. Yeah. So where did you get into the army? Like, how did that go for you? And, uh, yeah, lead us up to this, this, uh, when the, that music, like the, -na 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 -na, that when you, you and, uh, Russ locked eyes the first time. <laughs> oh my, it was more like a, it was more like a, there was a 
what he castanets and like flamenco music when he <laughs> like um, across the salsa floor yeah yes okay. well that's you know after listening to russ i really don't have anything to say so go ahead and go to the next question no all right that's uh, a wrap, hey, you that's get, a wrap. You break, real quick you gotta ask coop about uh the person that was in his officer basic course that later became an internet sensation <laughs> um yeah, go ahead and Google Johnny Black. She was a famous porn star in the 90s. Oh. Um, he was my small group instructor when I was at the basic course. That's a true story. She wasn't a porn star yet, but uh, you anyway, that. true story. Johnny that Black. was a wild time. So, yeah, I... Uh, I'm getting Johnny Walker Black. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, the E7 that she was married to secretly became her manager, too, when they got kicked out of the Army. Uh, that's a long story. Anyway... Um, and yes, I may have or may not have been over at their house and partied in their pool when uh, I was uh, a student there at the basic course. May or may not have um, in, in San Antonio. That was rough. OK, so I actually got accepted to West Point when I was oh, uh, senior okay. in high school. Um, I, went I was. To... Oh, go ahead. Sorry, yeah, I searched. I found her and then I went to images and I, uh, I uh, Google censored uh, stuff, but I, I guess uh, they don't. <laughs> You know, when, when you're an airborne, when you're airborne, you can take it any which way. Oh, shit. I didn't <laughs> if you put in very specific terms, Jane, the image sensor uh, filter does not work. Got it. Um, <laughs> um, got <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Had some good times. Um, I, I got accepted to West Point and I got accepted to Annapolis. Originally, I wanted to be a Marine officer. That was kind of my goal. Um, but once I realized that... Uh, and no, no, uh, no uh, offense to the Marine Corps, but kind of the scope of what you could do in the Marine Corps as opposed to the Army. Army is like a, Army's like a like a huge country. We've got everything in the Army from computer programmers to the medicine side to you know every everything you can imagine that would take a city to run. We have it in the Army. It's huge. Um, from the you know, and for every gunfighter up front like Russ, there's 15 people that support that gunfighter throughout the logistics chain and, and the support chain. Um, so it's huge. Wow. And that appealed to me. And just just the less less uh, the army really kind of I got into it and preaches individualism, like Russ says, uh, doctrines, a guideline. Regulations are kind of written for retards. And so they preach that you think outside those lines and make decisions. It's all about making a decision, making an informed decision. And that's really what we preach in the army. Make a quick decision is better than a well thought out, you know, patent. I'm paraphrasing patent a little bit here. So. I fell in love when I was a senior in high school, so I turned down both of those appointments, and my, my dad didn't speak to me for like two years. Um, and then I realized um, I, I went a couple of different routes when I was in college. Um, I realized I wasn't going to get paid to play football on Sundays, um, although I did stay an athlete in college in other, other regards, and um, got into the astronaut program, but I had astigmatism enough to where I got washed out of that. And then I started getting recruited by all the alphabet uh, folks because I was a good college student and, you know, uh, active. And uh, I was actually really seriously thinking about a career in the CIA for a while. What's, sorry, what's um, alphabet? Uh, oh, alphabet. The CIA like FBI, CIA, okay. NSA. Not, was getting, not, the, not, not the folks you think of today as the alphabet. Uh, <laughs> not, the, yeah, not the serial or the, or the gays. The other alphabets. Um, or BLM. Um, <laughs> But uh, so I was seriously thinking about a CIA career and um, I was a biology, physics and English major during my undergrad years. 
and the army was footing the bill for a uh, scholarship for ROTC. And my plan was to go in the reserves and, you know, go into medical school and be a doctor. I did get accepted. I went to the university of Washington for two years, uh, medical school. And I hated it. I hated everything about it. I hated the people I was in class with. I hated the instructors. I hated the oppressive uh, far left politics of being there. And so I took a sabbatical did, did some things like being a high end security guard, um, or security personnel, like would escort like rock bands when they came in. I uh, moonlighted as a bouncer on the weekends. I had a lot of fun. And then all of a sudden I get a call from the army, from Arperson, the army personnel center saying, oh, by the way, remember the $125,000 check we wrote you for your, for your undergrad degrees? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I ended up going to uh, officer's basic course. And while there, even though I was a reservist, I went through a, a program where uh, if you wanted to go on active duty tour anywhere you wanted to go for three years, you had to go through a board process. And there was like 300 competitors to get this is like, oh, shit, what am I going to do go back and, you know, do jack shit back in Tacoma or Seattle. I, I actually ended up winning the board. And I'm like, sweet, I'm going to go on a three year tour to Germany or Italy, Vincenza, Italy, you know, my mother's from Bavaria. She was, um, um, so I was like, that'd be really great. Go back and study my roots. Well, I get orders in two days, sending me to Fort Hood, Texas to the first cab division. <laughs> yeah. So that whole part about where I wanted to go wasn't true. And uh, I was at first distraught because Fort Hood sucks. And that part of Texas is awful. You know, 93 degrees, 93% humidity at three in the morning. Yeah. Scorpions and everything bites and Burgets. fucking jackrabbits carry fucking maces and machetes and hit you in the shin and stuff. Um and uh, I got there and I went to, this is where Russ was talking about the story. I went into the uh, 7th Cavalry, 2-7 um, Cav. And the 7th Cavalry is very famous for being Custer's Regiment. And also okay. the uh, book and movie, We Were Soldiers, Once and Young. Mel Gibson plays Hal Moore. That's the 7th Cavalry. Um, a lot of history. You wear Stetsons in, on, at the officer's club. You can wear Stetsons, black Stetsons as part of your uniform. And uh, airborne gayness over here. But anyway... Um, I, I just loved it. I absolutely fell in love with it. I had, you know, I was a platoon leader, 42 guys and $9 million worth of equipment right out of school. Um, absolutely fell in love with the history and the people I was around. And I stayed in, I had, uh, Russ talks about company command. Part of the reason they move you along in the army is they, they like this thing called stretch. And so if you're uncomfortable in your job and learning it, the theory is that you're going to do a better job than somebody who's cemented in that job and has been there for a while and is comfortable because you're always looking, you're looking at ways to do things. You're going to work a little harder. That's part of the philosophy and moving officers quickly along. So I had, I had two company commands and then um, um, went to Fort Lewis and they put me in charge of a headquarters and headquarters company as a company commander. Um, that means you're basically dealing with all the support personnel or what Russ probably likes to call ash and trash. Um, you're not, you're not, dealing with, you're not dealing with the gunfighters. You're dealing with like, you've got the, you've got the personnel people, you've got the support platoon, you've got the logistics people, you got all that. And you have a lot of officers that outrank you because you have the entire headquarters. So you're the, you're basically a, a glorified training and administrative person. I had a 600 person company when I got there, nobody had taken a PT test for two years. There, it was, so I came down hard, like, a, like any cab trooper would. And I was instantly hated by the uppers and, uh, that, that command was me running night court. Uh, that's what I did. I was just busting soldiers um, for doing drugs and stuff like that. It was an awful experience. So much different than being in a line unit. Line unit is a deployable unit like Russ and I talk about. 
So I, I actually got out of the army for a while. I resigned my commission and went into the reserves and worked for a fortune 500 company up here in the Pacific Northwest for three years. That was a horrible experience. Um, eat your young and stab you in the back and all that stuff. And, uh, for me, 911 worked out really well because the army called me back in January, 2013, back on active duty to fight, uh, to support the, uh, OIF and OEF. Yeah, operation did you have a choice? Back. Did you have a choice or were you no. just called back? Okay. I did not. Because well, you were in the reserves. So I, I was in the reserves, okay. but then I got, I got put right back into active duty. Um, so no, I didn't have a choice. And that's part of, part of the deal. When you go into the reserve, I could have right, resigned right. my commission outright, but uh, I didn't so do you have to, do you have to tell your employer that you're in the reserves? Like, how does that work? Yeah, you do. Like... Unfortunately, the, the one good thing about that company is they were very supportive. Um, when I got back, when I went from being a captain of the army to going into corporate America, I actually made more in corporate America three years later because Bush had been in office and upped everybody's salary and completely revamped the Solar and Sailors Act and GI Bill. I was making a lot more as an active duty captain. And not only that, the company that I was working for paid half my salary for six months and kept the slot open for me for three years. Um, so they were very supportive. It's a pretty, yeah, old... pretty strict rules about how they have to there give are. you the time. Right? Yeah, okay. I think I there are, but this company went above and beyond that. And then yeah. after that, I just, I stayed in, went through a couple of deployments. Um, I uh, did most of my career in the medevac community. Um, so um, that, that's, a, that's an interesting place. A lot of very smart people, very fast paced and, and tough job at times, as you can imagine. Um, and then uh, Russ and I met, like, like he said, I, I uh, was looking for something to do because I fell in love again and uh, met this gal from California and uh, this I saw that this job at uh, we're running the Sacramento State ROTC program popped up, and I could be a full professor and all that. And I competed with quite a few different people. And uh, <laughs> Russ remembers Don, our first boss, really great guy. And when people say GPA doesn't matter, Don actually Don Hill told me that uh, it was between me and another guy. I asked him, "So why did you choose me for this job?" And it was great. I was really excited to do the job. And he said, "Well, he goes, it was between you and another another officer." And he goes, you guys were pretty even, although he had some more experience that I really liked, but his GPA was like a 2.3 and you had the GPA you do. And I thought if I'm going to put somebody up in front of kids, I want somebody with that GPA. And I only say that because GPA sometimes matters. You hear a lot of people sure. say, oh, GPA doesn't yeah, matter, but it depends. I've, I've always, I've always looked at that as a, as somebody who hires people too. It doesn't yeah. matter a lot, but in that job, it does. And I stayed in, did various jobs. Um, I got to the point where I'm sure Russ can, can, can uh, agree with this. I got to the point where I was working for a two-star general pretty regularly. And I was uh, what they call a G3, G5, which is future operations and current operations. So basically I was doing all the uh, planning, all the operations for um, a division size unit. That's about 9,000 soldiers. Um, everything that happened in that unit came through my desk and uh, I had a small staff. I, I enjoyed the job, but it got incredibly political at that point. And you may not be able to tell us, but I don't do politics very well. Um, and uh, my, the two-star kept pushing me to go to the Army War College, and he wanted me to be a, a Fulberg colonel and eventually a general. And I was like, yes, yeah, sir, I've been working for you for three years, and I see what you do as a general, and your job sucks. You just fly around and shake hands and pretend you like people. And, um, and uh, so I decided to retire, and I did and got out uh, officially in 2015. Okay. That's the one over the you, world. You seem to have like a, a windier path and Russ kind of off the bat was just like, I got to prove everyone wrong and went like yeah, straight Russ, in. 
Russ is more like a honey badger and I'm a renaissance man. So I guess <laughs> one of my bosses used to say that what, one of the things he liked about me was all he had to do was tell me that there was a problem and step back. Yo. Yeah. Am I? And yeah, Coop. So first, first gal to kind of derailed you temporarily, but what happened with, uh, did the second gal pant? Like what happened with her? Oh, I don't know if she listens to this podcast or not, but she's the narcissistic, uh, a uh, horrible human being. Um, oh. No, she's not a horrible human being. She's a narcissist. What I told her at the uh, end of the relationship is I said, you know, the sad thing about this relationship is there's two people in this relationship that are in love with you. So that was kind of the, uh, <laughs> that was the cold truth. He's not bitter at all. I'm not actually Russ, Russ met her and she's actually a, a very cool person in a lot of ways, but yeah, just, just, you know, our personalities didn't mesh. We were together for quite some time. So. Okay. But she didn't, yeah, at good. least she didn't derail you. Not, not at all. No. Yeah. Just. No, we were, we lived kind of separate lives and I kind of did my career and she did her. She was, she was a director in a fortune 500 company. And yeah, it was, it was from that standpoint, it was great. She never derailed me or anything. Okay. Yeah, I, I continued along the, what you consider the normal army path after ROTC. I went to the command general staff college, went out to Hawaii for about seven years, was in several different units out there as a, uh, it's called a battle major on the, in the division staff. I was a battalion executive officer. I went over to a unit that uh, helps train the National Guard. I was a battalion commander with them. Um, I went to help uh, train the Saudi Army, the Saudi National Guard, um, and then came back to finish teaching uh, brand new baby majors at the Command General Staff College that I had actually attended uh, about uh, nine years previous. Um, but the uh, yeah, it, it does get pretty political up there at at, at those those stages. Like I said, I, I was my path was was fairly conventional when it came to the army. But the only de while I deployed to combat three times, I deployed twice uh, as a major. Um, I only consider my first experience in Iraq, OIF one, the invasion, to be actual combat experience because in two thousand eight. Um, 2008, 2009, I never left the forward operating base. I was a battle major in the division headquarters, you know, 13, 14 hours a day, literally every day during the tour. Um, now, I, I get a quick tell this story. Uh, I like to tell this story. Uh, my boss, one of the few times that the chief of staff actually yelled at me was uh, we had, we were tracking a couple of uh, terrorists uh, squirting out of their hole and we had them on, uh, we had them on uh, heat sensors and everything. And so I used the Air Force to drop uh, three GBU-31s on two terrorists. The first one missed completely. The second one got close, and the, the third one just annihilated them. And uh, the chief of staff came, came down out of his office and went to me and said, Russ, did you just use some three bombs to kill two terrorists? I'm like, yes, sir, they needed to die. And you know, you're waiting for him to talk about waste of resources. And instead, he says, damn it, I'm up in my office all day. I don't get to have any fun. The next time you're going to kill people, you come get me so I can watch. Um, yeah, I want to see those so, videos live of the orange dots. Wow. Yeah. So, so that was fun. Um, but, and then in, in 2010, 2011, um, we got rocketed a few times. Um, I heard some booms, but we were well past the conventional fight at that point. So it's not what I would consider real combat experience when it's indirect fire and you're not really going after folks. Um, yeah. Well, where was this exactly? This was Iraq or Afghanistan? All three of, all three of my combat tours were to Iraq. Okay. Now, I did, I did the, kind of deploy one last time in my career in 2015-16. I told you I, I, uh, I went to help train the Saudi Arabian Army. 
Um, it's a deployment in terms of the, it was tax-free money. You get, you get an extra stipend called family separation pay. Uh, you're in hazard, you get hazard zone pay because it's Saudi Arabia, but um, it's not like a deployment like you think of it. The, right. My time in Saudi Arabia was actually quite awesome. If it hadn't been for being away from family, it would have been one of my favorite assignments because yeah, that's got to be wild know, to see the, that kind of see the world like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I got in Saudi Arabia, I had my two, my own two bedroom villa with marble floors. The Saudi government gave me a, you know, a 2015 Chevy Tahoe to drive around. Uh, it was a five day work week. So it wasn't, wasn't like the kind of deployments you think about. Yeah. Still, that's a wild, that's a wild way to, to experience the world for sure. So Jane, how are we looking on time? Are we, uh, we should probably it? wrap it up. Let's, let's like, yeah. I have one more question for you guys. Uh, what are your favorite war movies? Oh yeah. We'll I give it to Coop yeah. first. You mentioned we were soldiers. Please uh, any, say, or, please hmm? talk about that. We were soldiers. With I, the Mel Gibson movie. Th- this real, is going to be quick. like superhero for, you know, the superhero yeah, episode. Yeah, yeah. Real quick. I'm we going to just soldiers. be like. True story. True story. So um, we, it's based on the book. We were soldiers once and young. And I actually know personally a lot of the people that were portrayed in that movie. Cause I was in the same unit, you know, yeah. 25 years later and the ancients, as we call them, would come back for, stable calls and drink beer with us and all that. So I met Hal Moore, the one that Mel Gibson yep. plays. Mm-hmm. True story. I was um, running the garrison at Fort Hunter Liggett uh, prior to getting deployed. And that's, uh, they were retraining a bunch of people to send them over. They had a bunch of schools going on there and uh, they were filming. We were soldiers at the same time. I was the, basically the garrison and commander in the training uh, guy. And uh, I walked into the Hacienda one night and uh, Sam and uh, good old Barry Pepper are in there. And, uh, and, uh, there was a, you know, a bunch of kids kind of her you know, soldiers, her, you know, they're in awe, of course, Sam Elliott and, and uh, a lot of people oh, knew who Barry right. Pepper Sam was Elliot. from. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He played a Sergeant major, uh, Basil Plumley, one, mm-hmm. one of the, uh, one of the heroes of the fight anyway. So I go up to the bar and, um, I just, uh, I, I looked at him and said, Hey gentlemen, welcome. You know, I'm such and such and I'm the garrison commander. It's great to have you folks here. I appreciate you putting up with the soldiers. And then I, I, I did, uh, I did a victory coin. <laughs> Russ is very familiar with this. If you coin somebody, um, you basically, okay, the highest ranking or whatever, if you coin somebody, they don't have the coin and they have to buy you a drink. So I put out my seventh cavalry coin, my Gary Owen coin. I go, gentlemen, coining you. And he looks at me and, and Sam Elliott, no shit, looks at me and he goes, major, you're not going to buy another goddamn drink tonight. And I got Sam Elliott and Barry Pepper bought me drinks and we shot the shit That's for awesome. about an hour. It was pretty cool. Explain but, these coins. Do you guys, so you have the coin, you like always have one with you and then you give it and then you got to go get a new one. Like, how's that? Like, is there a machine that dispenses these things? Like what's going you gotta on? You got to earn them. It's, it's a, okay. a unit. You got to earn them through some type of achievement or being part of the unit. I had to earn that okay. one by uh, drinking a canteen cup full of horse piss and Tabasco sauce and doing all this other stuff when, and getting so when my you, stats and when and you give it, when you give it, that's it. You don't get another. Well, no, when you coin. coin somebody, if somebody is in the military and they don't have their coin with them, then they have to buy a drink. Or if okay. they do have a coin, you figure out which one maybe was given to you by the highest ranking officer or the most important one. I can tell you, uh, Russ remembers, you remember um, Sergeant Major Kelly that I got to give that speech yep. at one of the dining inns? Yep, Medal of Honor winner. Medal of Honor winner, and he gave us all Medal of Honor coins. And so I carried wow. that one around, and nobody can beat that shit. So for the rest of my life, if anybody ever tries to coin me, I'm like, really? Medal of Honor coin. Yeah, it's like the guy. military version coin. of Pogs or whatever. <laughs> you know what? That's actually kind of accurate. The, the, <laughs> the point is basically- like, I got Pikachu. 
Yeah, the, the coin is basically an attaboy without them having to go through the paperwork of giving you a real medal that you put on your uniform and might get promotion okay. points for. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. I'll real quickly. I was thinking one I got uh, was in Korea. I got one from the chairman of the Joint Chiefs. Wow, that's awesome. Since, uh, since we're at tight time, I got to tell you my my favorite modern war movie is The Outpost that came out last year with uh, 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 what's his name Scott Eastwood. Uh, Russ knows about the um, it's a Af- about the uh, shit. I can't remember the name of the outpost for us in I Afghanistan. Remember, I remember the thumbnail. I don't remember exactly. Yeah. Is it Scott Keating? It is. It is so realistic um, as far as the. Uh, the combat scenes and just how soldiers talk, how they wear their uniforms, you know, that's when, that's when you can tell they really get the nuances correct. I'm also a big fan of Generation Kill, the miniseries about the Marine recon that HBO did several years ago. That, that was, that a, was a really good miniseries. Yeah, fantastic. And, and again, very accurate, very accurate about what soldiers face in combat and just that. So I'd say modern, those two. And then um, Renaissance wise, I love the old school, the longest day with, the Duke and, you know, uh, Robert Shaw and all those huge actors, everybody in Hollywood was in that movie. And it's actually a fairly accurate historical movie. President Eisenhower plays himself as the, uh, as the commanding general um, in that movie. So it's, it's fantastic. And it's actually not badly done historically accurate. So the longest mm-hmm. day, and it's got the Duke in there is uh, he was one of you guys, Russ, he was one of the one Oh first division commanders in that movie. So yeah, great movie. Um, if I'm, I'm sure I saw that way, way, you know, when I was a kid, I think my uh, parents showed me that. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Looks <Thanks>. familiar. <laughs> Look, if I had to pick one, to be honest, it's not a movie. It's a series. That's uh, band of brothers. Um, oh man. Band of yeah, brothers yeah, yeah. Really resonates to me. It just looking at the way the soldiers interact reminded me, reminds me so much of my company, uh, of, of my Charlie company. Um, they got a lot of that. Now, obviously they had to sanitize some of it for TV, but you know, there's not like, they didn't show the soldiers there drawing dicks on everything that they could find. Um, which just a, a real quick story. I do got to bring this up um, that, you know, thinking of dicks spawned this spawned this thought in my head. Um, <laughs> when we were, when we were in Iraq, uh, when we were in Baghdad at first, before the, this was before the, uh, before things went bad and the insurgency started and everything. Um, and the Iraqis look, contrary to what y'all think, the Iraqis in Baghdad, especially at the beginning loved us. I mean, we drew crowds like we were rock stars. And we could get we could get crowds to do just about anything, which is not necessarily a good thing when you have a 19 year old soldier out there who's got power for the first time. I'll never forget one of my soldiers. I believe it was PFC Lewis was up on a standing on a wall in Baghdad. And he had a crowd of about 60 to 75 Iraqis uh, chanting, suck a dick, suck a dick. <laughs> and and I remember pulling him off the wall, me and my first sergeant looking at him and saying, hey, what do you think happens if CNN comes by here right about now? Um, I, that's when I had to have a meeting with my company and say, all right, fresh press guidance. Don't do anything that's going to get the president of the United States asked the question in a news conference. Okay. Yeah, that would be yeah, bad. Yeah. Um, but band of brothers, the, the way that they interacted, the combat scenes, um, the way that uh, I can't remember the guy's name who portrayed uh, Dick Winters. Um, but. He, oh yeah. The guy that's on the, uh billions on showtime yeah. now yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, damien uh damien lewis. damien lewis yeah um i thought he did a, i thought he did an outstanding job um the the guy that david schwimmer played uh kevin herbert Sobel. yeah herbert Sobel. we've all had a commander like that um yep. all of us have had a commander like that believe it or not um i think that in the book it put it right that herbert herbert Sobel. uh when they asked 
if Easy Company was so good because of or in spite of Herbert Sobel, most people said both. And those who didn't say both said that uh, said that Herbert Sobel made Easy Company. So we they were all very, very representative of how folks would act. I remember when we were in Iraq, we all kind of gravitated towards that movie because it was one of the few DVDs we could we could find and actually figure out how to play. Yeah. Um, and it, it did remind us a lot of ourselves. So Band of Brothers, if that's on TV, I, I stop and I watch it. Actually, when we were teaching ROTC, I would use several Band of Brothers clips to teach leadership and have the cadets evaluate the leadership that was going on, both yeah. the, the good leadership and the bad leadership. When uh, um, when the the captain, oh, I can't remember his name now, um, but outside of the Battle of Foy, just completely went catatonic and wouldn't do anything. I had the cadets evaluate him on, you know, what his leadership was like. So uh, mm-hmm. that's, that's probably my favorite series. I mean, there's a lot of others that are good. Um, I mean, I like Saving Private Ryan. There are some historical inaccuracies, I think, in Saving Private Ryan, but the general feel of the movie is pretty good. Um, I liked, uh, oh, what was it? Coop, was it American Soldier that had Chris, I mean, American Sniper that had Chris Kyle? Yes, yeah, um, Bradley, yeah. Bradley Cooper. Yeah, I liked American Sniper. Now, they really sanitized Chris Kyle. Um, he, w- he was not always the, the straight-laced, you know, uber right. good guy that he was portrayed in the movie. He had some flaws. But, you know, I've, I've enjoyed those kinds of war movies yeah. when I watch them. The problem is when I watch a war movie, I tend to be like, you should be doing this and that and the other. And you need to be, go-. you know, so it's just, just my natural personality type. Well, as you guys were telling your stories, that was kind of, those were the, a lot of those were the characters that I was imagining, you know, like the Sobel from Band of Brothers or like Plumley, you know, Sam um, Elliott from, uh, uh, from We Were Soldiers. And yeah, I was kind of like, yeah, that's kind of like in my mind, I was filling in your stories with movies that I've seen. Yeah. Uh, Band, like Saving Private Ryan and Band of Brothers was, they're kind of almost accompanied each other because they were made by, made around the same time and maybe tom hanks and yeah, well, tom Spielberg. hanks because he because tom hanks is in saving private ryan he's one of the guys that sponsored band of brothers yeah um and just, just real quick coop you were talking about Plumley and the guys from we were soldiers um i, I get to meet joe galloway twice uh once he came and talked to our gr- a group of us who went to talk uh went to tour some of the various sites around washington dc when i was in the 101st and then he came and talked to my class at the command general staff college um and I can't, I don't know anything for sure, but when he came and talked to our class there, he appeared to have been uh, somewhat inebriated at the time, possibly. Um, <laughs> was he the reporter that was with you? Yeah, him? he was the reporter. That was Gary Pepper's was character. Yeah, um, exactly. He was, he was attributing opinions to soldiers that I don't think were quite accurate when he talked about how everyone wanted to turn around and spit on the Pentagon. Not really sure that was, uh, that was completely accurate, but I, I will say Joe Galloway, you know, he, he's made a career out of out of uh, talking about how great Joe Galloway and his experience over those few days yeah. were. Journalists. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I'd say, I mean, you know, not being in the military, but still, like, I think when I remember seeing Saving Private Ryan and just after it was over, just standing there like jaw drop, like yeah. it was kind of life changing life changing um because you know before that like exhausting yeah yeah the first 20 minutes of that movie the first 20 minutes of that movie is probably the best battle sequence i've seen in any movies ever yeah 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 you really really brought it home to me was when uh when this one dude was looking around picked up his own arm and tried to carry it back to the aid station that was that's one of the scenes that really impacted me yeah i don't think you can hear stories yeah so go ahead 
I'm sorry, Chris. I was just going to say, no. do yourself a favor and watch the outpost because it's it's just as realistic. And by the way, that was the Battle of Camdesh at Outpost Keating. Yeah, and Cop it, Keating. I thought it was Cop yeah, Keating. Yeah, and then uh, Jake Tapper actually wrote the book, which is kind of interesting. But uh, he was there. Yeah, he was. That's the outpost, or that yeah. was okay. Yeah, he wrote the book, The Outpost. He was there. He was the embedded reporter, Jake oh, Tapper. We just you talked about reporters. Just real quick interjection here. When I was at uh, Commander General Staff College, one of the things they do is they bring in a bunch of reporters um to so you can learn how to deal with the press um and the the guy he he died i don't know 10 12 years ago but or maybe eight ten years ago but the guy they brought in for us was a reporter for abc news called john McQuethy. and it was funny that after that week i'm uh getting ready to fly with my family back to tennessee just for the weekend to celebrate my my oldest daughter's first birthday at the time and McQuethy was in the airport at the same gate that i was at well, reporters do not like being challenged the way that they like to challenge other people. So mm. when I just went up, I said, hey, Mr. McQuethy, uh, Russ Meyer, I was, I was in the class of CGSC, really appreciate what you did for us. And he's like, oh, yeah, it's good to see you, young man. You're not on this plane, are you? I was like, no, sir, I'm going on this plane. <laughs> okay, good. Because, yeah, they, when you turn it around on the reporters, they're not real big fans of that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, wow, guys. that's. Uh, I'm going to put this episode up with um, – up there with like we had a couple others with uh giovanni super fan giovanni and he just like just obliterated us with information that you know it's like i'm gonna have to listen to this again to fully get yeah all the, i i listened to, i went back know. and listened to that it was a great podcast yeah so, he was just like machine it was like cool machine dude. gun fire of information about adam carolla that he was spraying us with yeah so much expertise uh, yeah, yeah. Both, i think he looks so. up in my neck of the woods too maybe i can uh figure out how to get him on yeah isn't that like that um That'd be awesome. What's that town in Idaho that everybody goes to? And the it's got a French name. Kurt Eileen. Ruskin, Ruskin Kurt, Kurt, Kurt Eileen. Poisson, Idaho. Kurt Eileen. Kurt Eileen. Excuse me. Kurt Eileen. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, I want to encourage our listeners to check you guys out because I really enjoy. Even though you guys are military, and it's really not my thing. Now we I got mean, way into not about. I mean, I very much respect the military, but I. <laughs> Just remember, you know, mil- I'm, a, I'm a chicken somewhat. I'm a typical chick sometimes. But one of the things I always like to remind people is military is cool and all, but we, you know, just like the rest of society, we have our share of dickheads, we have our share of right jackasses and dumbasses. So it's one thing, it's one thing to respect certain folks. Don't no, he's that too high a pedestal. <laughs> Coop was trying to point at you, but for me, he was pointing at Jane when she you were saying <laughs> dickheads and I also think you guys could also be named endless ranters. It would be inappropriate. The favorite part. That was already taken though. The best parts of two grumpy bastards, the best parts, the funniest parts, uh, not intentionally of two grumpy bastards is towards the end when, when Coop's like, uh, so Russ, we got one more topic here you wanted to cover. Do you want to save that for the next episode? And it's like, give me a break. He's like, no, no, no. I can get through that in about 20 minutes. (laughs) <laughs> Ro- so, did you just Robbie, is, stay on target? <laughs> Robbie has coined our crossover episode as uh grumpy ranters here grumpy which I think amen there you go like doubling down all right well thanks guys so much this was really fun I really enjoy talking to you so hopefully yeah, we can do this again in a in a bit so yeah you yeah. bet we uh, we would love to have you guys back on uh, our neck of the woods too here in the not too distant future so yeah, yeah. is there anything else we need to know about two grumpy bastards before we wrap it up russ do you want to promote your books anything? oh yeah um, yeah yeah well for anyone who doesn't know i i write novels i've written 
uh, five novels, uh, everything from paranormal fiction to political uh, action to uh, science fiction. Um, I go by the name R.D. Meyer. Uh, my books are Akeldama, Salvation Day, Wrongful Death, Schism, and Homecoming. You'll um, find them if you just put that into Amazon, R.D. Meyer. Amazon. I don't know how somehow Schism, my book about a second American Civil War, is my, my biggest seller. It's my most popular, even though I think Salvation Day is my best written book. Um, and one thing, if you, if you like vampire stories, check out my first one. Uh, what I like to say is my vampires don't sparkle unless the human hero sets them on fire. So I turn vampires into monsters again. <laughs> um, and that's my okay. spiel. If y'all want to check them out, I'd be honored if you did. Great. Awesome. We'll Thank post you. a link too. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, congratulations on that. And congratulations on the relatively new Two Grumpy Bastards podcast. So again, everybody, hope everybody enjoyed listening to this and goes back and listens again, because there's a lot of information and I think we'll probably form maybe new questions for the next time we all get together. Uh, but until then, this is Chris saying, get it on. 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 Yeah, there's a pretty funny guy and some doctor to talk about fucking.